Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. MyCastingFile, the place for talent to get their start. All right, welcome to Talking Like Normal People, a show dedicated to talking about acting, casting, and auditions, and probably some other things too with people who love it. I am your host, Ryan Glorioso, casting director based in New Orleans, Louisiana. The future is partying this weekend. He is off to a concert in California. Um, I hope he comes back. All right. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers. Please help us out by rating and reviewing and subscribing on iTunes, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're on all those. So uh, give us a review. I, still, people, no reviews. I'm not, I'm not getting any reviews. I'm going to review you. And I get, oh, good. I am going to review. You can't, you're on the show. You can't review. Dude, stop talking. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. All right. Postcard of the week comes from Jason Scott Morgan, who I think is probably one of our biggest uh, fans. He's he's always commenting on things uh, when we post them. Jason is, this is actually a little promo card that he sent to us. He is in a bunch of pictures on the front. They're like promo pictures for a streetcar named Desire, um, which is being done in Little Rock, Arkansas. North Little Rock. He's got a picture on here. He's on a billboard. That's pretty cool, right? So um, cool. And then he gave me his card, which is his actor, you know, card. And then it says, hi, Ryan, Rob, and Justin, the present. Just wanted to say thank you again for calling me in. I'm currently playing Stanley in a high-profile production of Streetcar. High-profile. It's a kind of wild seeing my face on billboards all over the city. Looking forward to getting back to the audition action in October. Hope all is well with you guys, and I hope to see you again soon. All my best wishes. Wow, what a signature. That's a good signature, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's uh, I'm here. Is what that is. Yeah, right? Yeah. He's ready to sign autographs. Totally. For real. Totally. He puts a lot of info on here. So um, if you're interested in uh, checking out a streetcar named Desire, it's run in September 17th through 22nd. Oh, ugh, might be done. <laughs> I guess that's done. Sorry. Whoops. Um, then uh, if you want to book him, the Agency Inc. There you go. They're in Arkansas. All right, let's get to our guest this week, who you've kind of heard his his voice a little bit. Our guest this week has been acting since the age of 12 years old. Found that on your IMDb page. He's an immensely talented guy who has worked with some of the biggest stars of our time, with film and TV acting and producing credits spanning nearly three decades. He was handpicked by John Voigt to co-star opposite him in the thriller Beyond. He has studied at the Royal National Theater, The Old Vic, and at Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle. I'm excited to find out more about this week's guest, Brett Baker. Hi, Ryan. What's so, up, man? It's so good to see you. You too. I mean, you're, you're one of my favorite people. Oh, come on. No, I mean, you're one of my favorite people in the business. Um, but, yeah, you're one of my favorite people. I, you know, I think you and Megan have, like given me a career i wouldn't otherwise have why you're you're you've got all this well crazy training yeah why wouldn't you I, have it you know that's yeah um you know i spent like 25 years in la and i just could not get anywhere and um you know i worked at the mark taper i worked at the john ford theater um you know my whole bag was like classical work you know 
Um, and then I basically spent about five years trying to strip away everything that I'd learned. All right. Let's start from the beginning. Okay. All right. Just go as far back as you want. We'll get into the stripping away of the classical training. Um, so how'd you, where are you from? I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. And um, I was, I was uh, born in San Diego. Uh, fam, six weeks after I was born, we moved to Iwakuni, Japan, where we lived for three years, and then we ended up in Juneau, Alaska. Were you military? Yeah, family? my dad was in uh, the Marine Corps, and my brother, too, actually. My brother was a captain, and my dad was a major. Um, and uh, you, Is that why you're pretty? You're so good at playing military characters? Um, I didn't know I was good at playing military characters. <laughs> yeah, you, you but, have, you can but, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I grew up in a Marine Corps household where it was like, get out here. And, uh, my dad, when we would have guests over, he'd make me come out and do push ups in the living room oh. in front of everybody. Nice. So, um, <laughs> that's a separate podcast. Is, is your but, brother older or younger? Uh, my brother's older. He's five years older. His name's Miles Baker. And, um, yeah, super cool guy. He he lives in Anchorage, and my mother lives in Anchorage now. So, or well, my mom's been there for fifty years actually. Um, but um, yeah, so grew up um, in Alaska. Graduated from high school, service high school in Anchorage, and then um, I quickly, uh, well, you know, I just I had been doing uh, equity theater at this place called the Alaska Repertory Theater, which was at the time, like in 1978, it was a Lord A. Equity House. And they would fly in actors from New York, Philadelphia, like, um, and I was about 12 at the time. So, you know, I did A Christmas Carol. I did en Enemy of the People by Arthur Miller. Wow. I did, um, is that right, Arthur Miller? Anyway, um, and then... Um, now, was this something that you were like totally into as a kid or were you like the only boy in Anchorage, Alaska who wanted to be on stage? I was pretty young, dude. That's like <laughs> I was I was pretty young. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I was encouraged by both my, my parents to just kind of follow my dreams, to do whatever I wanted to do. So, you know, c come from a very sort of liberal. And, and what what was the dream? Or what is the dream? Well, you know, I've, I've what thought, was it then, I, and what I've, is it now? Well, I thought, you know, I've thought about that a lot. Like, how the hell did I get into this? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that um, I became heavily involved in the martial arts when I was about twelve years old, and I studied for six straight years. Um, I'm a two-time Alaska State Karate champion. Wow. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it, this is long before MMA. This is what they call traditional point fighting. And uh, so I was doing that and I was really into Bruce Lee films. And so I think somewhere along the line, I made the connection that I could do the martial arts and be on screen and do what Bruce Lee was doing. Um, and that sort of got me thinking about sort of well, what, what is Bruce Lee doing? Well, he, he's acting. It's not, you know, so that sort of opened me up to that. And then... You know, anyway, I auditioned for, you know, I did three equity productions in Alaska. And then I went to my dad and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go to, um, I want to go to like a performing arts school. And so I applied to three school, Emerson School of Performing Arts, Cal Arts, and Cornish College of the Arts. I was ex accepted at all three and I decided to go to Cornish because um, I thought I'd get the best training. I think had I gone to Cal Arts, 
the film and television thing. You'd have better connections? Oh, without a doubt. I mean... Do you, did you kind of think you might get on stage more uh, at a smaller school? Or is I it a smaller learn, school? I, yeah, it is a smaller school. I mean, right now, Cornish... I've always referred to Cornish as sort of the Juilliard of the West Coast. Um, it's just... It's an outstanding five-discipline dis, five art school uh, right in downtown Seattle. Um but uh, no, I just, I just, when I went to Cal Arts, I thought, oh, this is so, you know, it was just a little too rich and a little too poshy and a little too this and a little too that. And I wanted to like get the roots of acting because at the time I didn't, you know, I just wanted to learn how to be an actor. I wasn't focused on being stage, film or television. I just wanted the sort of the, the roots of acting. Well, by going to Cornish, you know, who had, there was no connection to film and TV. We didn't even have an audition class. Really? I, you know, I mean, I learned how to do Chekhov and Beckett and Shakespeare and Ibsen and um, Brecht and, you know, for three to 500 pe person houses. And right. That it, was the extent of my training. And you learned how to audition by auditioning for their plays. I'm sure. Exactly. I yeah. mean, my monologues are all classical monologues. You know, I mean, Shepard and Mamet were sort of the thing when I was going through the contemporary sure. side of sort of. I that. don't want to ask your age, but how old are you? Fifty-two. Fifty-two. All right, I'm forty-six, so oh, we're okay. we're kind of in the same zone. -ish. Yeah, you're um, you're you and I are the distance between me and my brother. My brother's five years older than me. My sister Bridget, she's seven years older. So. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I didn't go to a, a prestigious college, but I bet we had a similar oh. experience, yeah. you know, college-wise, yeah. you know. Because um, you're, you're an acting person yeah, first. Yeah, I, w I went to school for uh, theater mm -hmm. here in Louisiana in Northwestern State University. Okay. Um, was there anyone at Cornish that that rings out to this day that really kind of like paved the way for you and like really influenced you? Um, well, all of my, all of my professors were graduates from Yale and Princeton and Harvard. Jeez. So, you know, I was getting, you know, I went, you know, I, I went there in 85 and I graduated in 89 and you know, whatever techniques and whatever things were being taught, you know, that's where it was coming from straight, straight from those major universities, by way of my professors uh, who are all, you know, clearly artists who were out trying to book gigs themselves right. and wound themselves, found themselves in a Northwest uh, college in Seattle teaching everything they had learned in their classically trained programs. So sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. It, do you see any of those uh, professors or anyone from your time there uh, um, making it? Our or? big claim to fame is you? Um, no, it's not me, my friend. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Brendan Fraser was okay. um, one class or two classes behind me, and Brendan um, he became a big star. Oh, and yeah. he's working. He's on some show right now, right? Yeah, I think he's having a. I think he's he's re re reinventing himself. Yeah, um, he's on the affair. Oh, was he on the affair? He was on at least one. Well, season I watched that I the watched. first two seasons of that, but yeah, uh, maybe maybe he's on. Um, I just saw Brendan at a Cornish reunion with my friend Chris Peak, and uh, there was a small group of us that got invited uh, that donate to the college, and we were invited by the uh, um, you know the chairman of the theater department as sort of like, please come give more money. Yeah, basically. Please, please <laughs> at least come give more money. So uh, I saw Brendan, and, you know, um, I had seen Brendan in L.A., obviously, off and on. But um, 
but it had been a, it'd been a minute since I'd seen him and uh, we didn't even talk about the business. It was just like, Hey dude, what's up? You know, how are you? Good to see you. That kind of thing. So, were you, were you in any shows with Brendan at Cornish? I wasn't because at the time I was an upperclassman. So, um, he wasn't allowed to perform on, he wasn't main allowed stage. to even come on the stage with me. Yeah. Stay away. Frazier. Stay away. Frazier. Go to Encino. <laughs> Go be a millionaire in LA. Yeah. Okay. But don't, <laughs> don't tread on my boards. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> And, and that and that's exactly what he did. <laughs> so, wow. um, so, so how do you um, how did you get to the Royal? What was it? The Royal National the, Theater. The Royal National Theater um, was, I think, right before I did Titanic. It was either in. I always get confused, but I think the National Theater. I think Titanic was in '97. The National Theater was 1996. Um, I'd been reading uh, Theater Magazine or something like back in the day when people used to read magazines. Um, and I saw this world of this, this national audition call. And it was basically like they were holding auditions, Chicago, LA, New York, Atlanta, to they were looking for 24 people to go and study Shakespeare at the Old Vic, which is where Sir Lawrence Olivier created Hamlet. And, um, you know, at the National Theater in London. And it would be a six-week training course now, of the 24 positions accepted, they would give five full-ride scholarships and fly you to London to study for six weeks and put you at, but, so we stayed in dorms at the London School of Economics. And so anyway, and car, you're, car, you're one of the five? Well, I was one of the five, yeah. The carnival came to town and I went in and did, I think, something from Twelfth Night. I did something from uh, Henry... To, or I, I don't remember what I did. No, no, no. I would have done something contemporary. So I think I did something for Shepard and Twelfth uh, Night. And then I sort of forgot about it. And then uh, I got this letter in the mail that just said, you know, congratulations. You're one of the you're one of the five out of the 24. Nice. And I was like, yeah, that was that was a big that was a big because I came home. Uh, I was in L.A. and I'd been out drinking that night and. I was sort of like depressed and sort of I came home and I just saw this sort of very official, like, you know, really nice, nice stationary, yeah. stationary and everything. And it was from this company called the Atlanta Alliance Corporation or whoever was anyway. But the guy putting all the money up for this thing was um, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. So wow. he was the patron. He was the financial patron of the whole sort of educational uh, program. And uh, so anyway, I opened this letter and dude, I was just, I mean, I was over the moon. I could I, imagine. I was just like, you've made it. You well, have arrived. You have. I mean, and I think that something like that holds more weight, like okay. as a, as an actor, mm -hmm. as a craft crafted Craftsman. actor, uh, than anything else. I mean, you're that's being invited to something with, really prestigious. Yeah, and yeah, because certainly as an American actor, you know, we look at Stratford upon Avon, or you know, we look at. I mean, I look at the Brits doing uh, Shakespeare, or uh, Sir Ian McKellen, Anthony Hopkins, um, Alec Ginsberg, or not Alec Ginsberg, but um, Sir Alec Guinness. Um, you know, I grew up watching like little videotapes of these guys working on monologues. So, um, yeah, for me, it was like, 
booed. And then when I stepped into the room where Olivier had created Hamlet, just this old, dusty, you know, you know the smell of the yeah. theater. Yeah, it's, it's just, I just got chills a little bit. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so it was just the, this room that just had sort of this ancient spiritual quality to it, you know, where you're just like, fuck, you know, yeah. I'm just, I'm here, I'm in, I'm like, I'm here where anything, yeah. anything magical, anything. All good theaters are haunted. All good theaters are haunted. Probably, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, so, anyway, yeah, that room was really special. It had creaky wood floor and just the whole deal, you know. So, yeah, that's where um, uh, that's where uh, I studied, um, uh, you know, uh, I basically, what you know, I had movement class, political class, um, and then, you know, we'd warm up, and we did some comedia, and we did some clown oh, work. And, I love comedia. Yeah, um, and um, so, but, um, I'm going to totally forget her name, but um, one of my, um, Janet, Mc, Janet McTeer okay. uh, was my professor oh. who worked on my Prince Edward monologue for me. Um, or, and um, and then Sir, Sir, uh, Simon Cowell, who works all the time. Um, he's in like everything British. Um, Not the Simon Cowell, who's no, the no, judge no, of no. American Idol. No, no. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that would be awesome. That would be totally cool. In a different way. He'd yeah. probably be really judgy as a teacher. Very judgy and probably, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but at the time, so honest. Richard, an honest. So Richard Eyre was the artistic director. And as we know, Kevin Spacey would then go on to become the artistic director over time oh, at the national sure so same same theater same organization so just um yeah so who's who's do we know who uh took over for kevin spacey after the scandal i don't yeah okay yeah hopefully <laughs> I don't hopefully they're back on track um so yeah. so did you so going to the old vic and the royal national theater um, what did you learn there that was different from Cornish? Anything, or did, Not really. did it just like give you more confidence as a, as a stage actor? And... Well, yeah, I mean, I've arrived with four years of classical training already. So they, you know, they're clearly not work. You know, they didn't want to work with people who didn't have like serious chops already, right? Because they just want to be able to take the work to a certain level, you know, and they want you coming in at a certain level. So that, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, certainly there's some technique that I learned there, and um, they would talk about the breath a lot, and you know, how how do you get through a sentence with no punctuation when you have to do it in one fell swoop, and you know, just very technical kind of things. Well, how um, do you? Um, very carefully. Um, <laughs> through uh, through uh, bre you know breathing exercises and yoga, developing your diaphragm, breathing from you know your stomach and the two halves of your lower back, and you know supporting the supporting the di you know supporting the speech or the dialogue with your instrument. You know, this is all like. <laughs> People in Hollywood. Yeah, so. so, okay. So then you go back after this experience to Hollywood. Yeah. I literally fly back to my apartment in LA and I'm like, what do you do now? With I wanted to this? be a bartender in London and I was too afraid I'd get caught because I, I would, you know, I, I didn't have, 
you had to have a re, you had to get hired by somebody there and i actually went to two agents when i was in london and tried to get them i i crashed the office and i was just like hi my name's brett baker i'm an american actor and i'm studying at the national theater in london and i knew that would at least get me through because they're going like who in the hell is this guy how how are you at the london like who is this kid like that that carries a lot of weight even to the english you sure. know so um they basically you know, said what they said, but no one sort of wanted to, you know, get me a work visa. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's the hard thing. You're there as a student, and you're at 22 years old, and you're old. only there for six weeks. Six weeks, right? Yeah, so you don't have you don't have a work visa. No, you're I there don't. to study. Exactly. And so when that day came and that's up, I was faced with leaving the country, or. Do I get a job as a bar back? Um, you know, just like to, under the table kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, keep my head low and and. But the thing is, I'm always the guy that gets caught. <laughs> like I can't get away. With, like if my tags are expired on my license plate, like right. you're getting I, pulled over. Oh, I will totally get pulled over. Yeah. Within ten days, I'm like, I go get friends of mine are like, you know, tags have been expired for a year and a half. I'm like, dude. Get your damn tags fixed. You know? <laughs> Just because I'm the guy that's gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm the guy that's gonna get, you know, pulled over within ten days. So I kind of learned that early on. So and what they told me was, fine, stay, but if you get caught, there's the chance that you'll never be let back into the country again. Right. And at 22, that just wasn't a risk I was willing to take. Sure. I always thought. Oh come on, Brett! Like you don't want to get kicked out of this country where you know the you know you, I mean the sky's the limit. I mean who knows? And so I I made the choice to leave, and I I just left, and it was heartbreaking to leave, but I didn't know what else to do, you know. So then you go back to L.A. I and, go back to L.A. And, and jumped into one of my you know thousand day jobs that I've had, you know. Mm. Um, Tell us about some of them. <laughs> I love them. Let's see if we right. had any. Maybe we worked at some of the same places. What years were you in L.A.? Uh, I was in L.A. from 1991 to 2017. Ooh. Oh, did you cater? I did. Oh, well, yeah, I did. A, I did a show once where we were caterers or to, who who turned into stunt people. Wait, wait, no, no, no. I mean, like, did you were you really a cater waiter no, ever? I was I never waited tables because I always found bringing someone their food and cleaning up their empty plate was just i couldn't deal with it dude it was just beyond me however everything this side of shaking my little ass on santa monica boulevard i was willing to do um so um for instance one year i ran a christmas tree lot all um, right during during christmas right at the corner of franklin and highland wow and um yeah and i i was the manager of the christmas tree lot um, Brett, do you have any experience managing a Christmas tree lot? Yes. Uh, yes, I have a ton of experience. <laughs> of course. I've been doing it for years. Okay, you're hired. Um, and they said, um, you know, whatever you do, don't give any Christmas trees away because we will be watching you. And I was like, okay. And I was like, whatever. You know, I had like six or seven people. We're selling Christmas trees. And so one night, about 10 minutes before we closed, this homeless guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey man, do you think, you know, you'd give me a tree that I could take down, you know, below the freeway? And so some of us could like celebrate Christmas. Oh my God. And I looked around and I said, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give you a tree, man. And so without even thinking of the warning they had given me, 
I, we found a, a really small tree. It was probably about five and a half feet tall that he could literally just throw over his shoulder and walk with. No stand, no wreath, no, no garland, no. It was literally just a tree over his shoulder. And he walked down the sidewalk and disappeared into the darkness. And the following morning, I got a call from this Armenian lot owner and said, it's come to my attention that you gave a tree away to a homeless person. Did you do that? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, you're fired and hung up on me. Wow. And that's the way that went. Wow. So, so, so you were there for what, like two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Two right. weeks. Yeah. Did know? he pay you? Yeah. I mean, I was making, you know, 10 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour. Yeah. To, to manage the lot. To, to manage, just manage the lot and just make sure, you know, just, you know, everything is you know, small little PO you know, Wait, pad. Any other, any other interesting side hustles? Well, um, I worked at Universal Studios in the business affairs and legal department for, um, for the motion picture division. Oh, that's and cool. And I worked for a cat named Jimmy Horowitz. And at the time, Jimmy was the executive vice president of business affairs, and I was his executive assistant for 17 months. And on that floor was Scott Stuber, Mary Parent, Stacy Snyder, and Ron Meyer. And I was Jimmy's assistant. And so right now, Jimmy is now the president of Universal Studios. I mean, could you He's, go work for him if you yeah. wanted to? Well, I asked Jimmy. I mean, chances are Jimmy will probably never listen to this podcast, but I asked Jimmy. I said, I said, hey, man, Send you it know, to I'm him. temping. I said, I should. I said, Jimmy, I'm temping. Um, you know, can I work for you full time? And he said, no. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, said, I mean, you've done I, – I probably know why. He's probably wants you to pursue your, your dreams. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was – It was. yeah. And It's and a good I, guy. And then I also said, okay, well, can I, get a, can I get a raise? And he said, well, how much are we paying you? And I said, sixteen fifty an hour. And he goes, and you want a raise? And I said, yeah. And he said, no. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. And um, – Awesome dude. He set me up for he set me up with an audition once downstairs on the floor right below us with um, Joanna. What's her name? Um, Colbert. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So downstairs, Joanna Colbert and uh, I. It, Frank Whaley ended up getting the role that I auditioned for, and you know, wow. yeah, I mean, Frank Whaley is. And Frank it was Whaley. Pulp Fiction. It was um, Red Run. It was the it was the um, Hannibal Lecter Part Two. Um, it was, it was, I think it was Hannibal part two. It was Anthony Hopkins. Wow. But, um, anyway, you know, I did my best, but I remember, I remember like I'm in my shirt and my tie. I've literally just come up from sitting at Jimmy's desk and I like Joanna's there. She's like, hi. And she's like, so you're Jimmy's assistant. And little does anyone know I'm like this classically trained, you know, like, because in that town, it's like, no one gives a shit. You know, they're like, she's like, okay, well, are you ready? She was very gracious. Um, she gave me some notes. We did it like two or three takes. Boom. Never heard, never hear a thing. But Jimmy was so awesome for that. And, um, and actually, now that we're on the subject of Jimmy, um, after about 15 years of being out in L.A., um, I'd been up for these two roles. And I'd been to several producer sessions and I didn't get either one of them. And Ryan, I was just broken, dude. Yeah. I, I was just, I was just so broken. I mean, I just felt chewed up and spit out and just, 
I could not sustain the bullshit anymore. I mean, I, I was just like, I'm out. Did you have an agent working for you? Yeah, I mean, I had agents off and on, all of them kind of shitty and just, you know, in L.A., I mean... If There's not- a ton of agencies and a lot of, like, D-level D D level, yeah. yeah. And if you're not, you know, with someone like, I mean, I'm not gonna say Gersh, but I'm not even talking like, oh, yeah, I mean, Gersh top ten, but I mean, you need to be in that in that range from ten to top twenty, or even top twenty five agency, yeah. You know, to see any kind of action, and you, I mean, to get, I mean, if you're stunningly beautiful, or if you're drop dead gorgeous, you know, go on, or just. <laughs> You know, um, you know, or you, or you're born into the industry, you know, right. your uncle's a casting director, your mom was an executive producer, yeah. like, you know, um, but I went to LA with zero contacts. Same here. Yeah. No, I get it. it I, that's, that's, I used to have a chip on my shoulder about the, you know, your, your dad totally has to be. A, you know a television director or a you know whatever for you to like get seen anywhere but i do know a lot of people who have made it you know that went with zero you know yeah. but i know even more people who went with zero that are immensely talented that you know are back in their hometown doing community theater or you know right, right. which is fine which you is know? yeah that's totally fine but that's you know as long it, as you're happy that's it, right? right? As long as you're happy. Yeah. And uh, so I had left. So I left the business and I went into a totally new trade. I decided to go. My my friend Chris Peak, um, he had been in and out of um, uh, the construction industry. So um, and I've always been pretty good with numbers. And so um, I um, got on um, career builders. How many years in is this that you about decide- fifteen? 15 years in. Yeah, and I was just like, I'm done. My last my last audition was for the group theater in Seattle. for, And they were in town in L.A. And I went in and just did the worst audition because I had... You were just, done. I was just so exhausted. I was so exhausted from all these day jobs that I had from, you know, like working at Universal where, you know, I was just trying to, like, pay my rent. And, you know, when you're, when you're you know, I got to be at Jimmy's desk at 8 a.m., we're not going to get done until like seven thirty or eight, and then I would go home and like drink uh, until you know, just like because I was so depressed, and then just barely like make it into work by eight a.m. You know the following day, and it was just a five Monday through Friday grind, and I did that for seventeen months, and uh, so actually during that whole time, I had five things that I would do at a day job. I had five lives that five lies that I would tell. The first lie would be I have a dental appointment. The second lie would be I have a doctor's appointment. The third lie would be that I have um, something's gone wrong with my car and I need to get it to the mechanical shop. The fourth lie um, would be that there is a leak in the tenant's um, uh, apartment above me and the water is dumping into my apartment. I need to go now. I must go. So they got... you know, I would I would not tell anyone I was an actor when I would go into the day this, job. This was so you could go audition for yeah. things. Yeah. So yeah. and then I would I would have to be you know they'd give me an hour and a half, 
and I would run across the lot, go all the way up to the eighth floor, jump into my truck, which had no air conditioning, strip off my tie, my shirt, like try to get into the costume, just, just haul ass across town in my little Volkswagen rabbit pickup to Santa Monica, park, boom, shut the door, go trucking in, in a full fucking sweat, pouring, just... You know, my hand shaking, yeah. trying to get a, trying to get. And then you're thinking, I, I got to get back to work. Oh, I, I got to get back to, totally. get back to work. <laughs> I got to get back to work. Yeah. And then so just rewind that tape. I would park in the studio parking lot. I would take my T-shirt, wipe my armpits, throw my business shirt back on and my tie. And and then I'd slick my hair back and walk in like I had just been right down in the street at Taco Bell. And I mean, there's no way you could give the audition you need to give in that situation i can't no i I don't think i don't think anybody could i i had i had a similar thing when i was acting i i worked at a bed and breakfast in venice beach wow and it was really small it had like i want to say nine rooms and uh i had to be there for breakfast obviously (laughs) and then there was a cleaning uh lady rosie who every now and then i go back and visit and she's, she's still there Rosie. Anyway, so I would, um, if I had an audition, like one of the other guys that worked there was also an actor, uh, David. And then my friend Chris worked there. Is the B&B in Santa Monica? No, it's in Venice. It's called the Venice Beach House. Shout out. Shout out, yeah. And like, all right, pick up the breakfast and like, I, I mean, we could leave. That it was a great job. If someone was checking in, I could just leave like an envelope with the key on the desk with instructions, and then just come back after the audition. But all your auditions would have had to have been scheduled after like, after like ten. Oh, ten a.m. That's, that's okay, not that's bad. not bad. No, because I don't know any LACDs that even right. arrived before ten. So right. <laughs> so so um, yeah. yeah. I, I did a bunch of stuff too. Well, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. The 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 price we've paid. Um, for fame, I guess, you know, <laughs> for um, something, for something, for a dream, for a dream. Yeah. Um, I just, but I wanted to just quickly, yeah. um, so, so, um, so I've, so I've left the business and I've gone into the construction industry. I put in a job ad, I get picked up as a project, project engineer working for the vice president of estimating for about a $5 million a year general contracting firm. And I become a junior estimator st- studying drawings for a vice president of estimating who um he takes me under his wing and then we just um i just start estimating these multi-million dollar jobs ground up jobs um and he was just showing me the ropes how you do this you know spreadsheets and i took classes on how to read blueprints and just all this stuff and i did that for like five years and then boom 2008 the recession hits and i i leave this this one job and now, but I've put in like five years into the old unemployment kitty thing, right? And so I go to my wife and I'm like, Dage, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but I think I have enough unemployment. I'm going to give this acting thing one more shot. And there's a movie being shot in Anchorage, Alaska called Big Miracle with Drew Barrymore and Ted Danson. And I look to see who's producing it. And it's a universal production. So... I haven't talked to Jimmy in about five or six years, but Jimmy is still at Universal Studios. So I email him. And then I said, Jimmy, 
I just flew all the way to Alaska to audition for the local casting directors. But I was also called in at Universal Studios and I auditioned for two different roles at Universal. This is my hometown. This would be my first studio film. Could you make a phone call on my behalf? I'd really appreciate it. And nice. never hear a word. Weeks go by. Weeks go by. Bing. Bloop. Something in my email. And I look at my email. And it's a note from Jimmy. And it says, congratulations. I think you got it. Oops. Act surprised. J.H. And I was like, uh, 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 I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I think I just booked my first fucking studio film. Oh my God, this is like, uh, uh, uh. I was so freaked out. And Jimmy is just like the epitome of cool. And so I just, I ran out. I was like, Dage, I, just, I think I just so uh, finally, but you know, cut, cut to the, cut to the chase. Yes, I booked the job as a local actor working in Anchorage because. My mom lives there, even though I booked the job out of Universal Studios. To this day, I have no idea if Jimmy made a phone call, um, who he called, um, how much influence he had. But I was on set being directed by Ken Quapis of from The Office. And I turn around and this guy taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, man, welcome to the set. And it's... Uh, um, uh, uh, John uh, Krasinski. Oh, John John John, John, John Krasinski. Chris, John Krasinski. And uh, Kristen Dunst runs over and goes, "Hey, welcome to the set. My name's Kristen." I was like, "Hey, well, cool, man. My name's Brett." And um, anyway, that was my first studio Dude. picture, and that was in a that was in 2010, and I never looked back. And then is that when you learned about the local markets? That's when I learned about local markets. Yeah, and I mean, um, is it? Well, what's cr what's crazy is while I was shooting Big Miracle, the casting director for that called me and said, "John Voigt's production company is in town and they're shooting a movie, and I want you to play uh, the bad guy in it." And I was like, "Okay, uh, I'll come and read for that." So I went and read for this bad guy that had like no lines. He had like one line, and I was like, "But I gotta get back to L.A., you know?" Like, and she's like, "Okay." Um, and a week goes by and I'm like, oh, and they finally call me back and they say, Hey, we want you to, uh, we want you to, re to read and to actually play John, John's partner, John's partner in this. And I was like, Oh, well, what, how many days is that? They're like, people have 17, 18 days worth of work. And I'm like playing John. Wait a minute. Are we talking deliverance coming home? Uh, John Voight. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, the 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 John Voight, <laughs> Angelina Jolie's father. John Are you Voight? sure you Are want you sure me <laughs> to come in and play? Yeah, just come in and read. So I read for Joseph Rusnak, who's a German film director, and boom, I go in and read. I don't hear shit. Another week you, goes by. You went in local, yeah, locally? yeah, because I was in town shooting Big Miracle. Okay, so I just extended my trip. Don't hear a word. Don't hear a word. And I'm like, okay, this is it. I texted the casting director and I said, I love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, but I'm out. I'm booking my plane ticket to leave tomorrow. So tell them whatever you want to tell them, but, you know, I'm out. I'm just like, this is my boundary. And about two hours after that, um, uh, she calls me up and she goes, um, it looks like you're going to be working as John Boyd's partner. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, dude, are you kidding me? I was like... 
I mean, Ryan, I had spent like 17 years, years yeah. trying to just trying to, I was just, you know, I'd spent so long trying to make something happen. And now, I mean, big miracle. And now John Voigt, dude, I, I rolled with John Voigt for 17 days, hung out in his trailer, shot the shit. I asked him about deliverance, what it was like working on that. I asked him every single question about acting I wanted to. He mentored me for 17 days. We'd be on set and he'd, be, he'd, he'd say, Baker, stop looking at me. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? He goes, don't look at me. When you deliver the line, deliver the line out. I'm like, I know, John, but people look at each other when they talk to each other, right? He's like, no, they don't. Study people. Do your observation. Do your homework. People do not look at each other in the eyes when they talk. They look out. And I'd be like, okay, so you want me to just deliver the line out? And he goes, just deliver the line out. No acting required, kid. And that's when I was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, come rushing 20 years of classical yeah. acting experience. Ugh. We live in an age, I believe, where... We live in the age of realism. If people even smell, they even get the slightest fucking hint that you're fucking acting, you're gone, baby. Yep. You're out. God. You have to be talking like normal people. That's right. And that's why I love the name of your podcast and why I think you have such an amazing thing here because... Um, Dude, that is literally, um, and I heard Garrett's uh, interview, which, I, I, I mean, my journey and his. I know. I, listen to this and then listen to his back to back, and that will give you the, 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 the bent rod of steel in terms of spectrum. You know, one hand is Garrett's journey and the other. You know, one is not right or wrong. Exactly. One is not better or worse. I mean, I would have rather had his journey. I mean, me personally, I would have rather had his journey. I mean, he's, but it was just yeah. not my journey. I mean, it was just not what God had. Well, I think I think um, we come from, you know, you and I come from a different time period. You know, and yeah. and luckily for him, he's in. He is. He's like a teenager of in the acting world at this point, you know, and right. he's had a chance to evolve in the middle of this this boom. thriving boom of a yeah, the, it's the gold rush of of TV uh, in Louisiana, you know. Which so is like what hotbed of activity, and then mix that with with his talent, and, yeah, you know, of you're, course, and right place, right time, and One, two, he three. he know he understands what he needs to do. He sounds really intelligent when I listen to it, and I've never met you, Garrett, but you sound like a great guy. And I know you're in Shreveport, um, no mooring sport, oh mooring sport, right? But dude, I I was in my hotel room last night listening to this. Before I shot the purge and um, I was listening to and I was just I was fucking blown away. I was literally in my hotel room. No, what are you kidding me? I was like, no way. Bullshit. I was like, it was so like and then I was just like, oh, dude, I mean, it's just you know what? can't control people places and things you know, it's funny you know? about his episode. Um, I, I sent him a link before it came out. And he like two hours later he 
forwarded me an email. He's like, in case anyone calls bullshit on me, uh-huh. here's the email about uh, Patricia Clarkson. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> you know, right, yeah, yeah. going on and on about yeah. me. Yeah. No, so I just, you know, but I've had to, I've had to lean into that and, and live in, you know, yeah. rest into the fact that, hey, man, more power to you. I just, I feel like, you know, John Voight's, you know, no acting required. And when he said that to me, I said, yeah, but John, we are acting. Last time I checked, you're not a detective and I'm not a detective either. <laughs> did you really so, do all Yeah, that? I did. I said, so that's kind of bullshit. What do you mean? No acting required because you know what? We are acting. So what about that? And, what was- and he, he's like, well, it's no acting required for you, kid. I can act, but I'm acting in a particular kind of way. And you'll understand what I mean a few years from now. He said, by the way, when this movie comes out, you're going to start playing a lot of cops. And I said, okay. (laughs) I I just did not. I was like, what? You know, whatever. So that's an interesting conundrum. How can you say no acting required? And yet, well, we are acting. I mean, last time I checked, I I don't know. I'm I'm not an officer of the law. I'm not a I'm not a peace officer. And yet I'm there saying the words of a police officer. So talking like normal people, well, no acting required. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, does objective and beats and, and super objective and all the, does, does everything we know about text analysis just suddenly fly out the window now? Like, I mean, wh- what the hell? Okay. And so, I, well, I, it's, uh, you know, I say that rhetorically because, you know, I'm not sure I have the answer to that question. Yeah. You ah, know, man, I, I'm just, all I know is that, Less is more, 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 more. Just be in the moment. Just be in the moment. Be in your shoes. Whenever I'm not sure, I just look down at my shoes and I'm just like, okay, dude, right now you're Brett Baker. You're in your shoes. You're in your studio. You're shooting this audition and you're going to play this guy, but you've got to play him as some aspect of yourself as close to yourself as possible. Be you. But you're going to be a guy saying the words of somebody else. But, you know, and, you know, is there acting involved in that? Well, of course there is. I mean, there's emotional content. There's there's understanding arc. There's, you know, even when I did The Purge, I mean, I'm using technique, you know. Sure. I'm, I'm taking pauses in certain places. I'm, put, I'm taking out pauses in certain places. I have an arc to my sentence when I go up like this just so that I can come down and make a point like that. That's technique. Right. But, but are you planning that or does that just happen because well, you're, you're yeah, so well versed? Well, in all this yeah, now. now it's, you know, now it's a natural thing, but you know, but I can also, I can also feel when I'm starting to act. Sure. And there's a very kind of like, and I go, Oh, that feels false. Yeah. So okay. really for me, it's a matter of feeling. Am I feeling false? I'm acting. My classical friends would kill me for saying it. So no, um, dude. I think also just. I, I think this is a this is a good a good podcast. I think that thanks. Yeah, no, like that's. A, I think a lot of people feel that way, and they just don't understand, um, you know, what what the meaning behind us saying all this is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just, just being there and, and being grounded and legit in the moment and not trying too hard. Don't push too hard. Right. And get out of well, your head. And you say that on your casting worksheet, you say, um, stay grounded, keep it real, 
give me the first take as you know the most obvious choice and in the second take play a little bit give me some shader color to the left or the right you can improvise a little sure don't give me some you know honor the text honor the text but you know if you want to throw a little color or shade on it give me that but you know stay in the world of where we are yeah but staying grounded in you know and then I, it, the reason why I want that first take, like the role you just did on the perch, that's going to be what it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need you to go and be like some heightened, wacky version of that. Correct. Do you know what I mean? Right. The writer's not not looking for that Correct. in their in what they've created. Correct. They want what they wrote. Correct. They're they're usually spelling it out for you. Pretty much in television, for sure. Correct. You know, you might have some room to develop a character uh, in a film, especially in this market. Right. You know, when when we're you know helping to forward the plot along Correct. with a lot of these roles. When you're supporting, yeah. Yeah. if you're doing exposition, yeah. you're 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 pushing the start the forward the story along. Exactly. And, and part of what you're talking about is understanding your function. Yep. Understanding your function within the context of the scene, which has nothing to do with acting. This is just a technical reality. Uh, you know, I'm, I play the NFFA official. And with in that guy's world, I have this set series of lines. But I have to step out of that and go, OK, wait a minute. What's the tone of the show? What in, you know, in the whole hour arc, where does he fit in? And why this is this is one of the things I ask myself. Why is the character saying what the character saying? Of all the things he could say in that moment, this character is choosing to say use these words to express himself. Yes. So why is he using these words to express himself right now in this moment? And I think it's through that process that you'll go, oh, well, he's just serving a function for the writer. Right. I mean, he, he's, you know, and in the case of Jody Thompson, I told him I'd give him a name bomb. Um, a drop, a drop of Jody. Name. Yes. Who um, he told me to tell you, thank you, by the way. Um, so I meet this dude yesterday. He's so freaking talented. Um, one part of my anxiety of doing the scene when I was in my hotel room, I had some nerves and I was just like, man, I really hope I, find, I get on there with a real pro. Wow. This guy was really great. And, um, what we discovered was, you know, after one read through in his trailer, he goes, um, you know who this feels like to me this feels like like old school uh jerry lewis and um and uh who's uh, dean uh, martin dean martin he's like let's just read it again and i'm gonna be jerry lewis and you be dean martin and i'm like you know what oh my god and yeah there is this sort of like this is the purge but when we get on set tim says to us the director he's like hey this is the only place in the show where we get to flex our comedic, throw in some comedic salt and pepper. So Jody and I discovered that and he nailed it. In the it was, I'm like, oh my God. So I'm this cold stone slab of marble and I my function is to let him rock. That's my function as that the is actor. Awesome. That. Clearly we cast the right people because you guys... You, you knew what you were doing. I yeah, mean, you, we, you, we just, you could take, you don't need to know anything else about the rest of the episode to make that scene happen. Yeah. To make know? that, to make that. Yeah. So we looked at his writing and looked at my writing and I was just like, dude, the stiller I am and the more serious I am and the more you sweat is just going to be funnier and funnier and funnier. And I said, and let's just, 
let the bottom of the scene just fall completely out of the bottom and just stare at each other. <laughs> and I'm your supervisor, and you are just trying to please me, but nothing you say to me is pleasing me. And dude, everyone in Video Village was in stitches. I mean, they'd say cut, and the whole place would erupt, and they ran, you know, Tim ran on the set, and he's like, Oh my God, Jody, you're so damn funny. You know, it's like That's watching awesome. you two are just, and I'm not doing anything. I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a cold stone slab yeah. of marble. And he's just like, well, you like, understand oh. your function, <clears throat> understanding the function, the, the role that you play within, you know, the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just a note about th this particular scene. That's, this is one of the like teaser scenes of the episode, Correct. which can be some of i mean you may not ever work on the show again mm -hmm. but these scenes can be some of the most memorable uh moments in they they usually are the most memorable moments for each episode because it kind of like introduces like what what the episode is going to be about or mm -hmm. what it's going to become or it's the reason for you know they're just giving you a glimpse of like why the rest of the episode is the way it is. You right. know? Um, so those are some of the funnest yeah, scenes. That's what, We've had some fun ones on this season. Yeah. Of the show. And, and I watched actually, um, I typically, I never liked to, if I'm, if I'm playing an historical character, um, I'll do research obviously. But if someone says be like Alec Baldwin, I don't go, I don't go rush to YouTube and like try to find Alec Baldwin. Um, I don't, I, I really hate trying to imitate people or the, oh, the one thing is, so I turned my audition tape into you and um, I was so tempted in my hotel room to go back and look at my audition because I keep all my auditions in Dropbox and I went, dude, you're not going to do that. Don't do that because then you're going to get on set and you're going to try to repeat what you did for Ryan and, you know, and think that, you know, it has to be this way. Fuck that. Like, don't. Don't be, don't be don't a pussy. put that pressure. Don't put on your, that pressure on myself. Yeah. And just like go be fresh, man. Like be a beast. Like you've been doing this long enough. You don't need to go relook at your audition before you go. Like that's what I think. That kind of stuff. I really like. I really try to stay away from. You know, people there's or like you know people will say, oh, you're like you're like Lee Turgeon or or you're like Turgeson or you're like this person or like that person. Um, you know, I I specifically try to avoid going to watch people's work like that. But I did watch my wife. Um, I was trying to get the purge. Now I had seen the first movie, but I had not seen episode season one. And so, um, and, uh, I called my friend Brandon Morales and, he, and I'm like, Hey man, do you think I need to watch an episode of the purge? He's like, Baker, you know, that's your job as an actor. I mean, at the very least, you know, you should, He's like, no, there's people that just say, hey, just, you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch. But I didn't watch the first episode because the first episode is temporary. Typically, you know, you're setting everything up. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to jump right into the meat of the series. So I told my wife, hey, babe, just download episode eight. Just totally random. Season one, episode eight. Is that eight. the one Garrett's in? Um, you know, maybe. I, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, what does he play? He, he I... Don't I didn't do season one, but he plays some. He has some crazy monologue. I've watched it on his reel. There was no one that had a crazy being, like monologue. held captive. No, okay. I don't think it's season. He eight. did a few. I think he did like the. I last saw J D. Evermore in on, season eight of the Perch. Yeah, I think so. No, no, no. You you saw Joe Crest. 
probably. No, I know Joe Cross. I mean, I don't know Joe Cross, but but JD now he's... who is the guy? Who's the guy in the pickup truck acting like the crazy redneck? Chris Berry. Chris Berry. Yeah, that's who I saw. JD Evermore may or may not be on this season. Okay, all right. Um, Chris Berry works all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to... yeah, we typically. I mean, I I'll read for a role and then. Chris Berry gets it. I'll read for another role and Chris Berry gets it. And then I'll read for like another role six months later. And it's like, I'll just tip my, let's see what Chris Berry's up to. Let's see what Chris Berry's up to. (laughs) Chris Berry got it. So, um, Chris, you're out there, man. I I love you, dude. I've never met you. Don't know you, but, um, clearly, clearly you're a very, clearly he's stalking you. you're, You're getting all my roles, dude. This has been an awesome podcast. We really didn't. I had some questions written for you, but I I don't think we need them because you you said so much good stuff. I do want to shout out that you worked with River Phoenix. Huge fan. I mean, that's like my childhood Mm -hmm. like fandom. My very, very first gig was being a stunt double for Corey Feldman. My second gig was being a stand-in for River Phoenix on Dogfight in 1991. Wow. My third gig was as a photo double for Billy Crudup in a Robert Townsend film called um, uh, Prefontaine. Oh, my God. And my fourth gig was being Leonardo DiCaprio's photo double on Titanic. Oh, I read the – there was an article you did. In in Vanity Fair. They interviewed me in Vanity Fair and – Posted a bunch of my photographs from the set. Yeah. It was called Being Leo. So if you want to just go to Vanity Fair and type in Being Leo, they did a really, really nice. Uh, I worked on this piece with the editor for like three months. This guy interviewed me and just wanted the whole inside scoop. And so when it it's not in the paper, it's Vanity Fair did, online. But did you have to go to Mexico for that? Yeah, I lived in Mexico for for the movie. Yeah, that okay. So I had moved. I moved to L.A. like kind of when that was being shot, and the producer, who's a pro- not John, not James Cameron, but um, the guy who won the Academy Award. Right, uh, I know who you're talking. I worked about. John. I, yeah, jo- uh, John. Anyway, I worked at the sports club LA during that time. Oh, and he was a member, and oh. I remember him coming in, and he was like. You know, I was like young and just wanted to tell everybody I was an actor. You know, I was like, you know, be handing out my key, the keys and the towel to their, you know, their locker in the locker room. What do you do, sir? Um, he was real humble. I'm a movie producer. Uh, oh, oh, really? Well, I'm an actor, you know. Right. Cheese ball. Uh, what, what, what are you producing? Oh, we're doing a, a little movie called Titanic. It's uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, that's really cool. I, like cl- me, I was clueless. Well, you know? yeah. When I knew, I knew, I knew who Leo was. But you got to remember, at the time of Titanic, Leo is not a household name. He's not a movie star. I I personally knew who Leo was, but that doesn't mean anybody on set. I mean, this is way, this is long before he blew up. I mean, yeah. yes, he had done This Boy's Life with Robert De Niro, um, Basketball Diaries, Basketball Diaries. But what's eating Gilbert Grape? What's it? What? Well, true. I mean, you're giving examples of like some phenomenal work, but still, <laughs> I don't think he was a household name. No, I mean he wasn't. He was to us. Yeah. But like, I mean, he'd been. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every he, young he, actor he was to blowing be up. Yeah, but yeah, no. So I I was aware of like who he was. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, Kate was Kate Winslet was so nice to oh me. Oh my gosh! I'd sit in her um, 
Were you like, I studied at the Royal uh, Yeah, I actually told National her that. Theater. And she introduced me to her grandmother. I remember her grandmother came one day and said, she's like, Brett, love, come down here. Meet me, mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, hi, how are you? And she's like, this is me. You know, I don't know how the British say grandmother, but anyway, she introduced me to her grandmother and I just thought that was so gracious. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And then, um, yeah, and then uh, Billy Zane was really nice to me. Danny Nucci was really nice to me. Um, Leo was really nice to me. Um, I always kind of wanted to kind of get in with those guys. Like, I knew they were going to Rosarito and they were going to, you know, Tijuana to party and stuff, and they never invited me. Bastards. So I would end up sitting in my condo in Rosarito by myself while, you know, the stars were, you know, but whatever. That's part of the road, man. Whatever, man. That's just part of the journey. Yeah. Dude, anything you want casting or producers to know about you that they don't already you know? You know, I knew, I, I listened to, I knew that question was coming up, and I was like, no, I mean, not really. We, I mean, we've I learned a lot. Okay. If they listen to all of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I just, I, you know, I've spent, I've dedicated my whole life to this. Um, yeah. dedicated my whole life to my craft. You're the real deal. And, um, um, and just a big shout out to new Orleans. You know, this town has been so good to me. Um, and you know, like I said at the top, I mean, Liz, Brent, you, Megan, um, I mean, if it weren't for you guys, um, I mean, just so many of my legit credits, um, have come from new Orleans. Cause when I came to new Orleans, sure. I had all these banging stage credits, but you know, no one gave a shit about that when I was trying to break into film and TV. So, um, no, I'm just ready to work. I feel like I'm hitting my prime right now. Yeah, actually. Yeah. At 52. I'm like, dude, as long as you can say your lines and not bump into the furniture it's like, I, I still got 25 years. I mean, I mean, assuming my health is good. So, I mean, look at Brian Cranston. I mean, I think the best roles for men are they started about 45 and they're between 45 and 70. That's the, that's the meat, man. There's not great roles written for 30 year olds. Fuck that. I mean, I'm just now hitting the age where uh, this is where all the great shit is. So I'm hopeful. Good, man. Well, if you haven't already checked out uh, the last episode of season two of 13 reasons why Brett's in that too. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's uh let's let's sign off i want to thank everybody thanks uh jason edwards for editing this um and follow us on social media at talk like normal at glorioso casting at jason edwards tv at full grown mouse at justin tc underscore underscore you you on instagram or facebook or anything you want to share yeah i'm on i'm instagram um i'm the brett baker um only because all the cool Brett Bakers were taken, so I had to get a little egotistical. I'm the Brett Baker, but on Twitter, I'm Brett of Fresh Air, and that's because I used to sell flowers. Another side hustle? Another side hustle, and the gay guy that I worked for, he, his name was Sandy Cohen. He would say, Brett of Fresh Air, come in here. He thought I was a breath of fresh air. <laughs> and he called me Brett of Fresh Air. And so that's my Twitter handle, was Brett of, Brett of Fresh Air. And then uh, I have a pretty good Facebook fan page, just uh, of the public official, or public profile, um, Brett Baker, actor, artist. or where, You can find me on Facebook. I've got a personal one and a professional one. Um, and I think we should tell Justin, too, that we know what he's doing. Yeah. And he needs to come back in one piece. Yeah. Yeah. And we're out.
Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. Create a searchable profile accessible by multiple casting directors who are casting major film, television, and commercial projects. MyCastingFile.com.